They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Before I introduce my guest, the show intro as usual, my $15 or more a month patrons are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin C.V., Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, and Mark Price. Thank you guys so much for being such big contributors to um, me being able to do this. And um, that's patreon.com slash the Chippa. Um, things are very hard out there. I know they're probably hard for all of you, but um, putting in this time to make these shows and getting a little bit of money back just gives me more incentive to make more. So I hope you enjoy it. And I'd also like to thank my newest patron. Um, he goes by huge B that's E W G B. Um, he, I got in touch with him cause I wanted to know how to talk about him on here. Cause usually the patron names are at least close to a real name or something fun. And, um, he got back with a nice big thing. I guess he's from Russia and, um, he really, really likes Bob and I's videos. Um, that's movie, Bob, my brother, and, um, would like to go by Gene. His actual name is Eugenage, I think is the way it's pronounced, but he goes by Gene. So thank you so much for being a patron and welcome, welcome to the fun. Um, this week's episode is a lot of episodes is brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And without further ado, my returning guest, please reintroduce yourself to the internet, sir. Hello, hello. I am Andy Rodriguez returning for my fourth. I think it's fourth. Fourth, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, fourth time on shooting the shit with Chipper. Uh, I am here because I really enjoy talking with Chris. I really enjoy the format that we do, which is redoing my old college radio show. Spoiler alert. Uh, but other than that, um, I am also the host of my own podcast. My girlfriend hates my podcast, which Chris has been a guest on. Uh, it's a lot of fun, too. I love the concept. So, yeah. So I will, uh, that podcast, um, currently I haven't put out a new episode in a little while. That's mostly because I'm still trying to coordinate with guests and or trying to come up with a new format for the show. Uh, I have some ideas about that, but, um, that's something for me to kind of work out more. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, so uh, what do you want to start off with? Um, well, introduce, uh, spoiler alert, so, since, since we're going with your format, it's your show, and then uh, just um, we'll, we'll go rocket through the topics, and if they sound good, we'll just start. All right, so, yeah, spoiler alert is kind of a uh, cultural conversation kind of talk show. Uh, we look at various different topics, so um, on today... My guest is Chris Chipman on Spoiler Alert. We have a list of various topics, and I can shoot some out here, and we can think about what sounds engaging and what to talk about. Let's go so, for it. All right, so I got various topics here. Um, let's see. Things that I have thought about and put on this topic list uh, why did podcasts become the format for true crime and murder stories? Uh, Western superhero comics weird distance from anime and manga. Coming out and adolescence in queer narratives, symmetrical shots, and prestige television. Can a bad tie-in kill a band? How Western storytelling fails at redemption narratives. Hint, it's Christianity. <laughs> Oh, I like the bad tie-in band one for starters. That that's a fun topic. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what was the context as to why I wrote down that topic. It was something like uh I was watching a movie and like it was not a particularly good like action movie from the mid two thousands. And like at the end of it, it was like some like butt rock band played at the end and I was like I don't remember this band putting anything out after this movie came out what happened to them and it was like 
they disappeared off the face of the earth. And now I'm just I'm trying to recollect what was the what was the rationale for why I put this down, but I'm sure there's something to go with here. No, of course. So I mean, you know, there's so many places where, you know, great not great bands, but bands that were fairly well known, you know, took the took the reins of a big movie and said, oh, this will this will rocket us to even bigger stardom. And I can't think of too many times where it made the band better. You know what I mean? Like, all I can think of is like Smash Mouth and Shrek and Smash Mouth at the end of Rat Race. Yeah. And like with Smash Mouth, they never really, I don't think, got bigger after Shrek and or Mystery Men. It was more that they just kind of had that they had the one huge song and now they kind of exist today as like the fun irony band that seems pretty well-meaning yeah exactly yeah like i'm not really sure what smash mouth's place is culturally at the moment no it's it's they were they were ironic before like because everyone kind of got them with Shrek and and Rat Race and Mystery Men, they went from oh this kind of random you know lower fi like weird poppy punky thing that you know because they came out with Walking on the Sun and you're kind of like all right this has like kind of a weird like sound with like the synth and everything and people were like yeah these guys and then they went from that immediately to okay you're popular for Mystery Men. And that cover of a monkey song that you did. And then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and so they immediately skyrocketed into like self parody almost. Yeah. No, they were just like, like it's, it's immediately like Shrek is anything in association with Shrek. I feel like gets pulled into the weird black hole. That is it's attempts to parody and, um, like poke holes at culture but in a very broad kind of all ages comedy sense so it ends up just being like can anything associated with this be taken seriously and of course smash mouth was never really trying to take themselves seriously not in the sense of like oh like we are producing the most like hardcore insightful thoughtful music or whatever just but like being taken seriously as like oh we are people putting out music that is something that people enjoy it's more like like you just hear like somebody once told me and like it's funny it's funny yeah exactly exactly and and not in like the offspring way because i feel yeah. like smash mouth and offspring in some ways overlap into the same space they definitely but I feel have similarities like- yeah but I feel like the the offspring seem to be like, I don't know, like opening their arms to you to be like, hey, come in, get in on this joke with us. And Smash Mouth was kind of pretentious about it for a little while. <laughs> it's like, a little weird. It's different. Like offspring, their songs, like it feels like they're telling a joke, whereas Smash Mouth kind of exists in this like. I want to be the class clown sort of thing. Right. But I'm not quite good at it yet. Yeah. Uh, Uh, I'm trying to think. Go ahead if you have one. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know if the Ninja Turtles stuff hurt Vanilla Ice. Because Vanilla Ice was already kind of a ridiculous thing. Vanilla Ice was Vanilla Ice. (laughs) But but Turtle, but Ninja Rap definitely was a thing. I think Ninja Turtles added to his credibility. (laughs) (laughs) And then you've got MC Hammer with both Adams Family movies. Does it make any... Because, like, for example, Will Smith Smith (laughs) doing movie soundtracks, like a song for his movies, became a staple, right? That wasn't, like, a thing that hurt Will Smith. Those things were huge. You know what I mean? That was cross, like, cross-medium tie-in stuff. Like, that makes sense. MC Hammer's Whoop, the Adams Family, there it is, and uh, the other stuff that were already parodies of existing songs that weren't done by MC Hammer that he then tweaked to do in the end credits of Adams Family movies does not make any goddamn sense to me. No, no, it's like he's Weird Al Yankovicking his own songs 
to a, a specific movie, and it's like, what? What? Why? Those, I mean, MC Hammer was kind of dying at that point just because of, you know, bad financial decisions, which is kind yeah. of a bummer. So was that I, like a little bit before he became a pastor? Yeah, because he had his little comeback album with um, that, like, MC Hammer trying to be, like, a harder, like, gangster rap kind of thing with, uh, you know, I don't even remember the names of the songs on that, but it was bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, th- but that was after the Adams Family movies, and I think maybe right before he became a pastor. Uh, um, he seems he seems like he's made it out okay at this point, though. Yeah, he seems um, like he's kind of settled down now. He's kind yeah. of in Smash Ball playing now. Like, yeah. <laughs> Self parody. Um, I don't know. I'm just, do you remember the movie? Uh, it was the sequel to Get Shorty. Be cool. Uh, no, I haven't seen it. So this was one of the last times I remember seeing Aerosmith relevant as an entity in film. Okay. Like they've, they've all gone on. I mean, Steven Tyler has gone on and done his own thing, and, but you know, Aerosmith's always had a Rocky up until their Vegas thing that they got going on now. And I don't know why I don't like, they didn't sell the movie on this, but like the third act of be cool happens during an Aerosmith concert. Okay. It's very odd. Yeah. I think it's just so weird. Like, we don't get band tie-ins to movies really much anymore. Like, I'm trying to remember. There was something for the first Avengers movie. I totally don't remember it anymore. Uh, do you Do you recall what the song was? Oh, God. No, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, and it was... It was like Nickelback or something like that. The Avengers tie-in song. Come on, Google, help me out here. Do-do-do, ba do 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 there was Dashboard Confessional in Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Vindicated. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, music of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not really what oh, this, I'm looking This for. is going to be a fun rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, um, I'm sure people really love listening to us just like kind of mumbling. No, no, this is this is no, this is good though. But like, because this is a good topic, I'm just trying to think of times where like live I, to where rise. The, what live to rise by Soundgarden? I think. All oh, right, that was like Soundgarden's comeback song. Yeah, yeah, because that was yeah that was around the period that Soundgarden was like, hey, we're coming back. And, well, here's, uh, here's an interesting one. Do you feel that, depending on how you feel about the, the songbook of Linkin Park, that their involvement in all of the Transformers films hurt or helped their credibility? Because that's I didn't what I was like, thinking of that. That. Oh, my God. That that's what I was I thinking didn't of. Like, I didn't like their songs in the Transformers movies, but there's a lot of Linkin Park stuff I like. Okay, when I was a kid, because I was a kid when the first trans, the first Michael Bay Transformers movie came out, uh, and I was a very dumb child, as children tend to be. Uh, Linkin Park playing over the end credits of that movie. At, to a dumb, impressionable child added way more credibility to that movie than it should have. There you go. So so then it worked. Yes. Yes. Because Linkin Park's weird, uh, moody 2000s... I, I, what was... What category? Like, not really indie rock, but like... So kinda... they, they call themselves... I think they fall into like the new metal category with like Evanescence and bands like like that mm-hmm. but they um they definitely have um inspiration from like late mid to late 90s electronica and punk yeah. in like a screamo like post hardcore kind of thing that i that's the stuff of theirs i really like is when they, when they get really like heavy i like it's most of the transformers movies get the whiny songs yeah, and, yeah. and I, I couldn't deal with those like across this new divide and all those like I mean no and then there's freaking twenty one guns by freaking yeah. Green Day showing up in a goddamn Transformers. Movie. <laughs> I know it was it was bizarre like 
was that like who made those decisions was that like a total like producer led choice because i can't imagine really like michael bay being into that and being like yeah like this totally fits with the wrecking ball testicle movie like no (laughs) (laughs) when i think wrecking ball (laughs) testicles i think lincoln park (laughs) no 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 offense to um Oh, what's his name? Or what was his name? Because I, no, no offense to the incredibly talented singer from that band that that took his own life, but Jesus. Uh, Do you really want your song, like the, the your song being attached to the testicle robot movie for the rest of your life? Like, I can't believe, I can't believe that the second Michael Bay, tri- I mean, I can believe, I but... Oh my god, there's wrecking ball testicles in that movie. And those aren't the most offensive thing in that. I think the incredibly racially insensitive streetcars are yes. uh... Yeah. <laughs> it is some <laughs> the wrecking ball testicles are somehow not the worst thing in that. The car the the, 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 the urban cars. the urban race car that had a gold tooth and I think the other one had slanty eyes. Voiced, like, come on, guys. Voiced by SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, which okay. Uh, there's just so many things wrong with this. Oh now, my God. here's so being being an old guy, um, which is becoming more and more apparent to me every day. There was a time, um, and again, maybe looking at back at it now, the same way I might look at the Transformers Lincoln Park songs, is did that add credibility? And you go, oh no, goddamn, it added a ton of credibility. Terminator one and two both had Guns N' Roses songs. And it oh, yeah. used to be it used to be that Guns N' Roses and Arnold Schwarzenegger were like a thing. And they even tried to redo that with End of Days. They had an a song that was going to end up on the like 20 years to release Chinese Democracy album on the End of Days soundtrack. And gotta say, um you could be mine on the Terminator 2 soundtrack and the video for that having Arnold, that only heightened my want to see Terminator 2. Like yeah. it just this is adding way more credibility because Guns N' Roses is involved. Yeah. And I, I don't know. So maybe that's what they're going for. But I feel like I feel like there's so many times we forget it. Like, do you ever see the movie Idle Hands? No, I haven't. So the offspring play in that movie at like a college like frat party at the end. Okay. And the hand like rips Dexter Holland's head off. Okay, <laughs> and it's like those are things where it's like you know I think they're a good fit for that genre because that genre is all it's kind of like the Sam Raimi like Evil Dead like horror horror uh, horror comedy. Right. It's like I can see a fun band tie in working like Snoop Dogg popping up at the end of Old School. You right. know, it's like all right, this this makes sense, but I don't know. Like, does everything need to have like a heart? And then. You know, the eighties and nineties always had like the big like male led like solo act like rock ballad. Like you've got um uh the Three Musketeers movie with Rod Stewart, Brian Adams, and Bon jo- oh no, and Sting, the all for one and all for love yeah. song. And it's like Jesus Christ, man. And uh I w- um everything I do, I do it for you, the Brian Adams song from Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. <laughs> It's like, this used to be a really big deal. I just, like, I I think about these, you know, what happened with all this? Because, like, nowadays, we don't don't have these tie-ins with movies anymore, really. Like, whatsoever. Like, since the eight years since Avengers came out and Live to Rise was the tie-in song to that, can you think of any other major movie that had a tie-in song or tie-in band or anything like that? Not ones that weren't about music. Right. Like, the closest thing I feel like you got to that was, like, Bond themes. Yeah, they're one of the last ones that has to have a tie-in song. And the interesting thing is that those aren't rock. And, like... The big thing that we had for a lot of years was basically like rock and some rap and like 
shit i like the one thing <laughs> the only tie-in i can think of since avengers is eminem's venom for venom yeah or um uh ashes from deadpool 2 yeah with, um which was which was done because it's making fun of stuff like that like the song that i loved that video did you see the video for that no i haven't so Celine Dion did a song for Deadpool. Oh wait, to yes, yes, yes. And the the end, the end. All right, Celine, that was great. But you're at about eleven. We need you at about a five. This is called Deadpool, don't you know? And she goes, "Can it, Spider Man?" <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was great. But that was done tongue in cheek. That that was like making fun of that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, I can't think of too many other things that aren't just songs like used in a trailer. Right. You like, know. He- literally the only tie-in song i can think of is venom well right because like the suicide squad movies use bohemian rhapsody but again that was just for the trailer right oh they had that 21 pilots tie-in yeah they did but again i don't i guess they're just not as and maybe it's because the only way to get information isn't isn't just television anymore so maybe we're just not seeing it yeah and i mean even then, like, I think Suicide Squad legitimately hurt 21 Pilots. <laughs> like, I think yeah. people were like, fuck 21 Pilots and this stupid-ass song. I remember I worked at a Schlitterbahn that year, and I was, you know, serving Dippin' Dots out of a cart, having to listen to that stupid fucking 21 Pilots Suicide Squad song, like, 20 times a day, thinking I fucking hate 21 Pilots now. Yeah. Yeah. So That's yeah, freaking wild. <laughs> yeah, like r- like 21 pilots, I think people were like fuck 21 pilots after Suicide Squad and with Venom people were like what the fuck? Eminem made a tie-in Venom song for Venom. Like I think we're just in this weird place where like tie-in bands and songs and artists uh, with movies are just kind of like looked at in a very confused state. Right. And I think, I think it's becoming more of a novelty. Like I feel like instead of there being a studio bought tie-in song, I feel like there's a, there's a small contingent of bands out there that like to do like homage songs and homage albums mm, to older yeah. films. Mm. Um, there's a band called ice nine kills. I don't know if you ever heard of them. No, I haven't. But they're kind of like a a really over the top like hardcore punk band. Like they they're just nutty. But they did an entire album of horror movie inspired songs. Oh yeah. And and they're great, but they're novelties. They're tongue in cheek. Like this isn't like we weren't paid to do this and we're not being serious. They did like, you know, songs about Pennywise the clown and like stuff. And I'm like this, it, it was a great album. Like this is fantastic. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, there's been plenty of bands that have done stuff, like, inspired by other works. You know, you have that inter intertextuality there. Um, what was that band? Um, Anthrax, I think, was really well-known. Yes. Doing stuff, like, about Batman and Judge Dredd and things like that. Um, I know a band that, at least credibility for me, and this you know, in retrospect, is probably wrong of me. I know a band that in the current world had movie tie-in songs that it actually hurt their credibility as a band and actually changed their sound. Oh, really? It's Muse and the Twilight series. Oh, yeah, yeah. With, uh, what was it? I I really like, uh, yeah, I really like Muse. But after Supermassive Black Hole and the first Twilight, they wrote songs for the subsequent sequels. And they were not good Muse songs. They no, were. It became much more Lincoln Parky. It became much yes. more like, very moody. Um, and they were much, I don't know, weirder before, I would say. Yeah. And they've, and listening to their other stuff, they never lost that. Like the, the stuff that they've put out since then, it's just those songs for those movies, they like. There was an obvious, like, produce, no, it needs to sound like this for a Twilight movie kind of sound. And, again, I, I think we've all warmed up to the existence of Twilight. I think that was, like, the thing to be edgelordy about for a yeah. while. Yeah, I think um, we're all a lot it, softer on it now. Right, but at the time, you know, it that 
that was pushing it. The like Muse tie-in songs is like, all right, really? Come on. Like, <laughs> I think it's it's just because they it, it was all so it was all so self-serious. Mm-hmm. I think was my issue with with that whole thing. But that's and um the Batman films used to, until Chris Nolan came along used to have amazing out of left field tie-ins. Seals Kiss yeah. from a Rose. Yeah. Uh, uh, U2, Love Me, Kill, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me from Batman yeah. Forever. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Prince. Prince yeah. wrote an entire album. I think he did the score. Oh, not, not yeah. the score, but the uh, he wrote, like, all of the pop songs on the Batman soundtrack for Batman 1 were all Prince songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he, like, he performed in, like, the weird like two-faced joker makeup thing for yep. at least like some stuff wild wild so yeah I, I again i don't know if the consensus could be that it hurt or helped but i i think we have a lot of good examples of both i just yeah. don't i can't think of a band that was nothing and then a movie tie-in helped them like skyrocket to fame no it almost always feels like it feels like the tie-ins are almost always for like exciting like kids almost because at least that's how it worked for me when I remember watching the Michael Bay Transformers and Lincoln Park played at the end it was like oh my god this is amazing yeah I think they're either already established or it ends up being a one-hit wonder that goes away like Like for, but again, and even that's become tongue in cheek because you've got Cobra Starship, who had who had a bit of a thing after, but their entire existence was because of Snakes on a Plane. Yeah, and I have to wonder: is part of this like did movies move away from the tie-in song and band because they were looking at making like aesthetic choices to move away from those or is it because rock and rap kind of moved away from being like the most popular genres of music i think that i think it's the latter and and i think the way people consume music is so different that it's not necessarily consumed the exact same way as movies and movies need to make their money off of you physically being there right sitting like, your butt down in the theater and there's no real place to advertise right the like, songs. people don't buy albums anymore like you listen to stuff right. on spotify or pandora or apple music or whatever um right. it, the only film soundtracks people buy are for disney movies pretty much like you maybe you buy like the Frozen soundtrack or like I don't know the Black Panther soundtrack something like that, um, but otherwise like yeah you're right people people really don't buy a lot of soundtracks much anymore, and because of the internet spoiling everything about films, you know music videos for these tie-in movies used to be the place where you'd see bits from the movie for the first time. Right. Like uh, that was a way of advertising. We're going to reveal what, you know, X person's costume is going to look like in this, you know, Will Smith video, you know, yeah. or, or you're going to see Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith do funny stuff in this men in black song, you know, right. but, and there's no, um, there's no mystery there anymore. Right. Right. Like it's not really, it's not really a way to, to, tease people because studios just release a teaser i also want to go like just step back to one thing i said um i said rock and rap weren't the like two biggest genres anymore not to say that though they aren't still very big genres but i feel like rock and rap have gone very indie uh very like cloud uh or spotify nowadays um and i feel like pop has really come back to be like the king or the queen of musical genres at the moment um well especially since pop branched out pop 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 moved away from being one exact sound to your weird rap album that this indie guy would have done five years ago is now what pop sounds like right you know Billie or, Eilish or, is considered yeah. pop now. Like 
Billie Even Eilish, though Billie Eilish that, is weird as hell, it's great. <laughs> right, like she is so vastly different than what was mainstream pop 10 years ago. Like 10 years ago would have been Katy Perry and early Kesha and stuff. And like current day Kesha is so vastly different than Kesha was 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, yeah, I- pop pop is just so, so vastly different nowadays. And it's 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 crazy that like, you know, genres like country, which is a huge genre in the US, even though I think where both you and I live, it's not as big of a deal. But that's right. a big money making genre. But it's huge. It's con- just so insular. But, and and it's pop. Like I I, you know, expect, you know, because because there's there's country out there that's great. There's country that's very folky and old fashioned and the instrumentation is really well done and everything. But what we get instead is um, is pop arena country. And I don't have a problem with that. It's just it's the Nickelback version of country. Do you know what I mean? And and I like that Billie Eilish can exist because that's not the Nickelback version of what she does. She's. She's pop, but in a very indie, non-pop kind of a way. Uh, the same thing could be said about Lord when Lord first hit the scene. You yeah, know, that's a very like that became pop very quickly, right? But, but not because of the intention. I don't think was to write a pop album. Yeah, you know, if you if you get and my my sister in law, speaking of country, just saw Garth Brooks. Now Garth Brooks is very pop country, but that's pop country from like 15 years ago. And so probably even longer than that, he played like a tiny little bar and she won tickets. And I watched the recording of the show and I would love to see that show. It was the most non pop show I've ever seen. Like it felt, it felt like going and seeing like an indie punk band, the way like the crowd was into it and the way the performance was. And I'm like, I wouldn't have expected that from Garth Brooks. Yeah. You know, like that was really cool. So oh, it, it's, it, you're right. Every everybody is. It, it's all taken it, much more heavy influence on live performance and SoundCloud, like in doing like lo-fi things. Than, yeah. um And so the way it gets to people isn't through advertising; it's through word of mouth. It's the chance the rapper approach. Right. You know? Like mainstream music is just so vastly different than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. It's no longer a way to sell a product, I don't think. Right. Right. Like, music, I feel like, stands much more on its own now. And I'm trying trying to put the words here. It stands much more on its own than the need to be a supplementary product to something else. Yes. It doesn't need, you don't, you can't use it to boost something else. Right. <laughs> That's it. Cause it's his, whereas movies, there's a lot of places for advertisement and tie-ins and stuff for products because it's all very visual, but you're not going to have a, Oh wow. I didn't know green day had a new song until I went and saw this transformers movie. It's like, no, you knew if you needed to know, you knew already. Right. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> My name is Gibetto Funkin, One Shoe Stumble, Knackle Timber Shivers, at your service. I'm looking for some friends of mine. The Many Pennies? The Many Pennies. Them. I know we've been really busy, but I think that all we need to do is just tackle the next thing on this 24-item to-do list, and we'll be fine. Someone bring me some food. Also, my flask is empty. I need a refill. Nobody panic. I may have lost several scorpions. I said nobody panic. Check out this new skin patch on my cloak, guys. Guys? You know... I might be looking for someone else. I don't blame you. Adventure Incorporated, a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition actual play adventure podcast. New episodes every Monday. Find us at adventureinkpod.com. Oh man. All right. Do you think so we spent a long time on, on that topic? topic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else what else you got? Uh, let's see. Do you want to talk about how western storytelling fails at redemption narratives hint it's Christianity? Oh, I, I mean, this is a heavy one, but let's go for it. Let, let set, set me up on this one, because this is pretty broad. Okay. Even though the hint is that it's Christianity. Okay. How Western storytelling... 
fails at redemption narratives, hence it's Christianity. Okay, so I feel like we've been seeing a lot lately of people criticizing stories for having, you know, bad guy character uh, who comes in and, you know, some point, you know, whatever, two thirds of the way through the story, maybe 90% of the way through the story, the bad character flips, becomes a good guy, and then like super duper often character dies and then uh we we just believe that they're a good guy from then on and i believe that this has some roots in certain uh beliefs uh that christianity holds especially certain sects uh such as uh baptists and protestants uh oh yeah <laughs> that they hold about redemption and coming to faith. Uh, I say this as someone who is a very, very lapsed Catholic. Uh, you're talking, you're <laughs> talking to one of the same, sir. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's this whole idea of, I'll like, say the tongue we, in cheek, the tongue in we, cheek way. Can we talk? Go, go. L- let me just say, can we talk spoilers about, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Are we? Yes, we can. Are we clear? Yes. Are we good? Everybody yes, who's listening, uh, if you haven't seen The Rise of Skywalker, it's probably going to come out on Blu-ray soon. It's been a few months. Um, whatever. So we're going to talk spoilers. Kylo Ren gets redeemed and dies. Yep. Yeah. Um, sorry, you doesn't were saying- get. No, no, no. Don't, that was one of the ones I was going to go into. I, I just I wanted to say. Um, tongue-in-cheek versions of this martin scorsese is a big fan of this right he always shows because this is real he always shows his very very violent mobsters making sure they end up for mass on sunday end up for weddings keeping up appearances it's always this as long as i do this one thing everything else i do is forgiven right and the idea of forgiveness uh and so and like not like not really doing the work because you can do the one big act at the very end and if it's a martyr like move you're good you're good you die and you you don't really deal with the consequences there's a movie and i'm gonna say spoiler alerts for this too um and if you haven't seen it um i'll i'll be as or you can just tell me you don't want it spoiled if you want called uncut gems that I've seen it. I've seen it. Okay. That I love how that makes you think that it's going to try to set up a redemption arc. It makes you think that's the movie it's going to be. And then it just fucking kills its main character before yeah. they can learn anything. No, that <laughs> I just want you got to be shitting me. That bastard does not learn a thing. And I love that movie for that. I fucking love it. <laughs> and I don't think he was going to learn a thing. Like, even if he stayed alive, he wasn't going to learn shit. But no, no, he won. <laughs> he won at the end. He wins. All of his bullshit works out and then, and for him. <laughs> and, then he and he just gets shot in the face. <laughs> he gets shot in the face and his brother-in-law gets killed, too. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so, you, you know... I, I like when things try to play reality with that. Like your stuff doesn't get all buttoned up nice and perfect for you. And I get and you hit the nail on the head. Hint, it's Christianity because there's a there's a thing that says no matter how bad stuff gets, no matter how bad you mess up, no matter if, how dark it gets for you, if, if yeah, you hold if you on to this one it, thing. <laughs> yeah. If you accept Christ, if you accept God if you believe in the good thing, then at the end you're fine, regardless of your actions. And it's like, but and how does a- that affect people? Like, they, like an, another character that made me think about this a lot that, uh, you know, always invites a lot of conversation is uh, Snape and Harry Potter. Um, yes. Cause people always go back and forth. Like, you know, is Snape a good guy? Does, you know, him doing that one last sacrificial act at the end negate, you know, all of his, you know, him being like an abusive teacher towards students and stuff, yada, yada. Uh, and it's like, 
well, you know, why are we framing it in that way that, like, he gets redeemed and, like, it's either he is good or he is bad in that very polar way? It, yeah, it shouldn't be that way. Snape, Snape, surprisingly, even though Rowling isn't always this good with all of her characters, is a very gray area character. Like, you, you need to think really long and hard over... No, Snape is just real. Snape is a real damaged, messed up hu- human being um, that, or wizard, as it were, that make, made a lot of mistakes, did a lot of what he was doing for what in his mind was a good, valiant, ethical reason, you know, but that doesn't take away the fact that he did terrible things. He still is going to have to answer for that shit. Right, like, he was still, <laughs> like, you know, we we want to make this, like, very like you know once again i feel like it's christianity and it's very like western narratives where it's like as long as you do the one big thing at the end it's fine it's cool it's good you're a hero and it's like why can't we look at these characters holistically like is you know i and i think you know, maybe a little bit of it is Star Wars and Darth Vader and, like, did Star Wars influence this for years on end where it's like, oh, Darth Vader at the very last minute saves Luke and dies and he, like, unambiguously, Luke is like, oh, yes, my father was good all along and he wants me to tell Leia that you were right and blah, 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 blah. No, and that's that's the other takeaway, even even the takeaway I take from that. It's not that Vader was always good. It's that the good in Vader was able to overcome all right. of the other influence at the very end. It doesn't right. negate the fact that he, on his own influenced volition, did a bunch of nasty shit. You know, and, and, and Lucas has gone further to show us, I mean, he freaking murdered children. Yeah, no, like, Lucas, if he did anything, he reiterated, actually, Anakin was a really bad dude for a really long time. And and even with how um, troublesome The Rise of Skywalker was in some of the things it did, it, it's, that's my takeaway from its thing is no, 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 no. Kylo Ren is not being redeemed. From everything bad he did. Ray is choosing. Despite that. To see past that. And use the force to try to save him. And then because of that act. On her part. It's the only way she is able to survive. Is for him to pass. Pass the favor back. To basically go okay. I'm going to do the Luke thing. And I'm going to use all of my power. To save you. Because you did the same for me. That's his redemption, not that all of a sudden he's good. No, 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 no. (laughs) You don't get there from there. Just like at the end of the day, we still have to accept the fact that Luke also at the end of the day is not fully redeemed as a good person. Luke was going to fucking kill him. Yeah. Like that is not, he saw that and it ruined him. That's redemption. That's going, I have awful inside of me and I need to find a way to make sure that that doesn't happen. That is not, oh, I'm good. Because it's not like that. There's no black and white to this. This is, human beings have to make decisions on a moment-by-moment basis if they're evil or not. Right. Um, All of us do. Right. At any given time, you could swerve your car off the road and, and, and just ruin somebody's life, intentionally or unintentionally. Right? Right. And the, I have a question. Have you seen... um the TV show Avatar The Last Airbender. I have not seen it in it in its entirety, but I am aware of it. Okay. Do you um do you know spoilers about the show? Yes. Yes. Um, I know basically the whole thing. Okay, okay. So you know the the character Zuko, um a lot of people compared Kylo Ren when The Force Awakens came out to Zuko because everyone was like oh, this character is going to have Zuko's arc. Um, He doesn't really, though. Um, 
it turns out, at least by The Last Jedi, you realize things are going differently. Uh, and then by The Rise of Skywalker, you think, oh, things are probably going more similarly. But Zuko, he's an interesting character because uh, in this show, which it is an American-made show, but it's uh, very clearly drawing a lot of things from Asian mythology and Buddhism and some Hinduism and things like that. Uh, it has this character, Zuko, who he starts off as the villain of the show. Uh, but then in a three-season show, probably by the beginning of the second season, he's already starting his redemption arc, so to say. And it's an arc that really isn't completed until most of the way through the third season and i think it's fascinating i think because of the very different cultural cues uh that it's taking it's not allowing this character to have like the come to jesus moment so to say huh. uh, yeah um like and i and i find that this is sometimes more often the case i think in certain like anime or jrpgs and stuff is that you more often see characters who went down a villainous path who have to work to become one of the good guys like um have you played chrono trigger yeah i was gonna say i just I just finished listening to the School of Movies episode on Chrono Trigger as well, where they went into that. Yeah. Where you're, you're like two-thirds of the way through the game boss becomes part of your party to help kill the final boss. Right. I always loved that. Right. And, like, yeah, like, Magus doesn't, like, become a good guy. Like, it, it could be easy for the narrative of the game to be, like, you fought Magus, maybe you don't kill him, and he goes away. And then, like, at the very end of the game, you're finding Lavos, and then, like, Magus shows up to be, like, a final boss party member. But that's not the case. He has no, he tries. joined your party as a team member for the rest of the game in order to to become, you know, a good guy. And even by the end of the game, you don't feel like, oh, he's, like, a goody two-shoes, like morally right dude it's like no he just decided to do the right thing and he had to work for it throughout the end and i feel like that's a very interesting difference that i see from stories that are influenced outside of you know christian influenced narratives and mythology right and you know i found that the western narratives have started trying but they can't get out of the way of that. Like Maleficent, those two, I haven't seen the second one, but that, I haven't seen them. That movie tries its damnedest to be the antithesis to that because it goes, all right, we're going to make a movie about the villain. Har, 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 aren't we fun? But then goes, what if we, what if we make it sympathetic, but in a way that you can kind of accept the villainy and not like in a, Oh, I'm redeemed and I'm a good person. But it's like, no, of course that kind of trauma would cause this. And I like, I like that, especially for a Disney movie, it was able to kind of still lean on the subverting that a little bit. It still yeah. ends up with, there's more good than bad going on here, but at least it leans into no, 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 no. We're not going to, you know, shy away from the fact that, you know, this is not a story about just a perfectly good person that does one good thing and is good or one bad thing happens to them, but that's okay. Cause they're still good. It, that movie stayed oddly, um, unbiased in that respect. And I like that about it. Um, I just wish in like the Disney overall that they'd, they'd move away from the straight hill hero villain thing and kind of lean more heavily into the, they don't need a redemption arc, but they can still be, a gray area person that isn't really fully good or bad, but just kind of is right. Like, I think we have been getting some better stories of, of that, of like justify, like villains with like a justified or righteous rage, you know, your, I don't know, your killmongers and stuff right. like that. Um, 
I think, you know, we are we are slightly getting that. And I really, you know, I want to see that expanded upon more. I want to see more things where the good guys or the protagonists maybe is better to say question themselves a little more. Uh, yeah. I would like to, to see that more in narratives. Um, a lot of things like that, you know, and basically what I'm coming from this is, you know, I think we, we do have examples in media of redemption arcs and redemption narratives working. It's just, we kind of have to broaden our scope of those things. And don't just do the one, the one type milk toast version that, that is unfortunately reinforcing an ideal that a lot of people have that I can, I can be scummy and mess up. And again, this doesn't mean that if you do something bad that you're automatically chastised and should go away to jail forever and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not talking like original sin or it means that you need to try. You need to show that you've gotten better and learned from it. (laughs) You know, right. Like it's it's putting in the work. You don't just get to, ah, well, I might've killed your whole family, but I saved your life today, which means I'm good. Right. We're cool. Yeah. No, that's not how that works. I like that you brought up Killmonger. Killmonger outright rejects the redemption arc. Yeah. I like that. At the very end, he's just like, yeah, no, I'm still not agreeing with you. I'm I'm just going to die here. Goodbye. I like that he outright he the movie does a very good job of making you understand exactly where Killmonger is coming from and where he went wrong and what he's trying to do. But then they they basically offer him a redemption arc and he goes, not nope, sorry, nope. <laughs> right. Like it could be the very like it it would be the most um like the m- the most uh, Christian version of that for him to be literally dying there with a knife in his heart and go, okay, I accept, you know, have my turn to Jesus moment and then die. But he doesn't because it's kind of bullshit. (laughs) And I love that that movie full on accepts the fact that the majority of the issues are the the whole it, it's it's questioning right like you said the whole world that the black panther is meant to carry on he realizes not only is not quite right but is the reason and cause of killmonger's rage it's it's right. the whole we've 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 um boxed herself off from the world to avoid the world and in so became what we were trying to avoid is a very incredible stance for a superhero movie to take, especially one made by the company that made it. Right. You know, um, and, and I, and I love it for it. And, and, you know, again, even that, I hope we expand upon that even more. That movie had a lot of balls and I hope, that they keep having balls about that kind of stuff. Right. They keep going. No, I mean, hell, we have a three ca- movie Captain America series about Captain America coming to realize that the American dream and ideal that he was brought up to uphold is wrong. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's those movies are basically the arc of um, Captain America you know, being like, you know, there's, you know, certain ideals that, you know, uh, I sternly believe in, you know, freedom and liberty and yada, yada. Uh, but this whole government thing is, uh, kind of fucked. Yeah. We're just going to not do the government thing. Is that okay? Like this whole government and military stuff and espionage business. This is, uh, kind of fucked. And really easy to tamper with. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Turns out that having all these systems of power and no accountability is um, not a good thing. This is awesome. <laughs> so um, 
out of out of respect for both of our times and me getting back to work, let's do one more topic that we can do quick. Okay, okay. Because um, I liked that one, but I think I think we uh, we could go on and on and on. But yeah, Christianity, you screw a lot of stuff up. Surprise. Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, you know your bedside redemptions is not you know a very good arc. <laughs> Yeah, I've not met I've not met too many totally okay human beings. I'm not going to chastise. There's some people religion works great for. The whole born again thing, it scares me. Um, I, I will say one thing that I find is the um, the people that actually truly believe in it and, and latch onto it. That is kind of the opposition to this, even though still a lot of it is scummy. Is I've seen um, AA work for a lot of people. And AA is a very religion-backed thing yeah. of, yeah, you've done a lot of wrong, but here's your redemption arc. Here's how you get back. And right. their approach to it is you got to work every day and show that you're working. Granted, that's a broken system, too, that can easily be tampered with. And some of the most successful drug dealers I know or, or I've heard of, sorry, are people that, you know, run AA meetings just so they can deal to these people. So it's kind of gross. But people that it's actually helped i don't believe for a second um would have been able to do that on their own it's just you know it in and of itself is just so broken and gross they're like hey all you gotta do is say you're sorry and you're forgiven yeah sorry i'm not i'm not doing that (laughs) right right anyway Uh, but yeah new less heavy topic okay let's see um what other topics do I have kind of related was anime and JRPGs and emotional intelligence versus logical plotting. What else? Um, that's a long one. Yeah, that's kind of a long one. I mean, I feel like in a way we've covered some of that. Um, yes. but yeah. Uh, what else? Let's see. Alan Moore retiring from comics and what does it mean for a megastar creator to retire? Um, let's see. The honesty of emotionally devastating comedy. Um, you haven't, yeah, you haven't seen Bojack Horseman yet, have you? I have. I've seen the whole first season. Okay, you've seen the whole first season. Um, I think that's enough for at least us to talk about it. Yeah, let's do so. Yeah, let uh, the set me up the emotionally devastating comedy, the honesty of it. I, I I like this topic. This is, yeah, so I think. Um, with Bojack Horseman, uh, I guess let's, um, say like spoilers for at least the first season of Bojack. Yeah, Uh, sure. And I know, I know a lot about what happens in Bojack, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with Bojack, I think, um, with a lot of it, uh, the comedy, I think people a lot of times, you know, talk about comedy as being a, a vehicle for you know talking about like really rough or tough topics and difficult things like that um but i think uh with shows like um you know sometimes rick and morty uh but especially bojack i think it does a really good job of using comedy to disarm the audience before it goes in for an emotional gut punch yeah yeah Um, so like talking about the first season, um, the ending of the first season where, you know, Bojack is, you know, talking with Diane and he's, you know, am I a good person? And Diane's like, well, I don't, I don't think there are good people. I just think it's our actions. And this is, you know, a really broad comedy about Hollywood and, a human and anthropomorphic animal world with a lot of animal puns. So I think like, it's very easy to be thrown off by like the sex jokes and comedy about, you know, a drinking horse to be like hit with this moment of just like, of, of just a brutal punch to the heart of this person who really wants to know, like, I fucked up so much, but I'm still a good person deep down. And for the person he wants the most in the world to tell him, yes, deep down, you're a good person to be like, 
well, no, I think your actions are reflect who you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically reinforcing all of his insecurities about how he feels about himself. Right. Like he getting no easy answer to that. Yeah. It's basically there's actions you could do to be, to be looked at good, but you got to do them. Right. You can't just, you can't just go, I've lived a shit life. (laughs) This ties into us talking about redemption. Um, Yeah. Bojack Horseman just clearly turns that down. It just makes the point clear. That's such a devastating show. Yeah. And, um, you know, I can like, I'll preface like minor spoilers for like the themes of, you know, the subsequent seasons, it's really all Bojack still like dealing with that question and trying to figure out, you know, is he a good person? Can he be a good person? And one, not only does it have these themes, which people that haven't seen Bojack Horseman are probably like, Jesus, why would I want to watch the show? It's hilarious. Yeah, within this very dark narrative it's created, it also has some of the funniest gut-busting things I've ever seen on a TV show. So, like you said, honesty in devastating comedy is is the idea is you you can find humor in almost anything. And humor sometimes is the antithesis for and also the thing that brings you back out of a dark place to make you realize, hey, I can make this better. But that show never, never softens the hard stuff. It always goes, this is some dark shit. And also look at this incredible joke we fit in the middle of that dark shit. Right. (laughs) You, You know? Like, the, it almost never delivers the dark shit within the joke, which I find no. very interesting. Like, there there are plenty of things that do very... Like, once again, Rick and Morty is really good at throwing the really dark shit in the joke. BoJack Horseman, once again, I think it uses the comedy to disarm the audience so that they're not ready for basically the emotional whiplash of the moment. So good. It the end of season six just came out last month. Highly recommend everyone watch the show. It is one of the best things ever made on television. Right. Like Rick and Morty, I think so often the times it it delivers the dark punchline. Um, but I feel like Bojack Horseman very rarely uses the punchline in order to deliver that that gut punch moment. Um, right. Once again, it uses the punchline to disarm you, to make you laugh, and then it'll turn to something harrowing. And there's just that emotional whiplash. Yeah, and it's really important to... There's films... Um, what was the movie? Um, it was... Uh, Seth Rogen, and it was the movie like his his contingent of people wrote about their actual friend who was dying of cancer. Fifty um, fifty, yeah, fifty fifty. That was another one that like I did not expect that movie to work. I expected it to either be too much of a drama and have, but the jokes. It, it was amazing how well the humor worked to drive the point home. You know, um, right. and again. And again, whether the movie had a happy ending or not, you know, didn't matter as much as the journey. It it, it was a very good way of like seeing how to still live a life and be with friends and family and not just have something like that ruin you to the point where, well, my life could end shortly. So my life is just over now, you know, and I, I thought that that was a really important way to use comedy to to be very brutally honest about something and um i i love i love films and tv shows like that right oh man okay so 
Uh, do we want to make that the cap to that topic? I think so. And I think, uh, I think you should uh, tell the people again where they can find you and what you're doing. Cause, um, because of that call, I got to get back to work. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, once again, I'm Andy Rodriguez. Uh, I am also the host of My Girlfriend Hates My Podcast, a curiosity podcast about hyperfixations and looking at our interests through that lens. Uh, I'm eventually going to put out something new. I'm just kind of brainstorming ideas and things to talk about. Um, Chris has been a guest on the show. Um, and it was a really good episode, despite some audio issues on my end, uh, which yes. I apologize for. But Chris was great on it. So please listen. What else? Uh, Sizzle Show segment. Watch The Circle on Netflix. It's a bizarre reality show uh, through the lens of social media and our interactions through there. It's weird as hell. Watch it. It's bonkers. Yes. It's one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen. It reminded me of the level of discomfort that Dark gave me when I heard of that show's concept. Only it's yeah. not as gross as that show. No, no. It's a, it is very much, uh, most of the time, it's a very fun show to watch. Just thinking about like how it's showing how these people develop relationships over social media with people that they've never physically interacted with is just something that's so like mind boggling. And it's like, wait, this is something that I do every day. But like this show just makes it like very clear, like how odd the whole thing is. And it's great. I highly recommend people watch it. That's awesome. Well, Andy, it is it is always a pleasure to have you on this show. And I love um, getting to do spoiler alert with you because those topics are just a lot of fun. Um, well, and and sometimes, so pretty, and sometimes pretty d deep and dark too, but <laughs> <laughs> pretty fun. Um, but I uh, do thank you for shooting the shit with Chippa and thank all of you for listening. And um, we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye now.